Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 10 of the EFL Magazine Business Podcast. Today's guest is Tyson Bettino. Tyson is originally from Hawaii and now lives in Tokyo, Japan. Tyson started his adventure in Japan as an Ekaiwa language school teacher and transitioned to ALT, assistant language teacher, and then to Interac as a trainer. With two Japanese co-founders, he started the fast-growing one-coin English language school with 11 branches in Japan and now has an affordable Japanese lesson provider called Japan Switch. I had a great chat with Tyson about scaling, managing, budgeting and applying an LCC model to language schools. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, buckle up for a new episode of the EFL Magazine Business Podcast, the one and only podcast made to help you launch your business or take your existing business to a level of success you could never have imagined. Whether you're a school owner, freelancer, publisher, or other entrepreneur, you're sure to pick up lots of actionable advice when you listen to the EFL Magazine Business Podcast. Remember to visit eflmagazine.com for great articles and features. Without further ado, here's your host, the founder of EFL Magazine, Philip Pound. Welcome back, everybody, uh, to the latest EFL Magazine business podcast. Uh, we're really getting through them now. And today, I'm really delighted to have Tyson Bettino. Tyson is the co-founder of OneCoinEnglish.com and JapanSwitch.com. He also has another website for people who want to get a job in Tokyo, and it's BFF, best best friends forever in Tokyo, bffTokyo.com. And I'm delighted and really excited about uh, talking to Tyson today. So Tyson, how are you? I'm doing great. And it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Fantastic. It's it's great to have you. Um, so I think we've kind of known about each other for a while and I've been kind of watching your activities and you're, you're very busy online. And how, how many schools have you got? now ah so far english school we have uh 11 locations oh wow and so i haven't been keeping track so much then if you <laughs> 11 oh tell me tell me about your locations where you're located we're mainly or we're located in tokyo and yokohama mm -hmm. but uh, we have locations in ikebukuro uh, shibuya shinjuku ueno uh, Yokohama, uh, Kichi, Joji, Irabashi, Ginza, uh, Sangenjaya, and Gotanda. And I might okay. be forgetting one. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who live in Japan or live in Tokyo, you're like, aha, for, for other people, maybe it's like, uh, what did he just say? <laughs> but, uh, um, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's very impressive. So tell me a little bit about your first school. Where did you... Where did you found your first school? Where did the idea come from? So our unique story is that our first school was actually technically in Kabukicho. So on paper, on the address, it was Kabukicho. But we called it our Shinjuku school. Because we were right between Shinokubo and Kabukicho. But we're on the Kabukicho side, for those who know. 
That's the red light district of Tokyo. So not exactly the best location to start your school. But uh, how it worked was my original partner, he had a Korean school at the location. And they are actually the biggest Korean language school in Japan with over 5,000 students. Ah, yeah, they're called K-Village. That is correct. And I think they have uh, 10 schools all across the nation. But anyhow, they had a lot of success with that. And they're like, you know, why don't we just try English as well? Then how it worked out was uh, someone I was managing at Interac was actually teaching for them. And they wanted him to run... uh, let's say the hiring, training, management. And he's like, hell no. (laughs) That's like way above my grade. Like uh, I can do the teaching, but you know, I can do great, amazing lessons, but anything other than that. But my manager, who's really great, is quitting his job. Uh, He's going to travel for a couple months, then come back. And he doesn't have a job lined up yet. So you guys should definitely meet him. And I met them, and uh, I met the two other founders. And uh, from my end, it was I get to work with two successful business owners. So uh, even though the original pay, uh, I think I didn't make any money for three months. And I think like uh, I only made like about maybe ten thousand dollars or fifteen thousand my first year. A significant pay cut, but the education. Uh, was like getting an MBA, so it was definitely so. In the end, it turned out to be the right decision, but that's kind of uh, the founding story. Okay, so you took a significant pay cut. How did how did you absorb that? How were you were you prepared for this? I was prepared for it. Ah, uh, it's uh, when I was teach or when I was teaching as an ALT, I did a lot of privates and saved a lot of money, and also. Uh, saved money while I was working at Interact. So I had about two years worth of savings ready to dive into entrepreneurship. And the main reason I wanted partners was because I wanted to move quickly. And the main reason for that was uh, I was a manager at Interact and I had actually managed the biggest client of Interact, which was the city of Yokohama. So I was in charge of uh, 150 full-timers. So, uh, yeah, I I could have made my own school, but uh, I really wanted to move fast. And I wanted to have uh, a team that had different specializations. So, for example, uh, one of the founders, he was a marketing expert. The other one was a shop, I guess I would say. He's helped with several chain shops before to expand and the interior and stuff like that. Then I, and uh, I brought the special or I brought the training management and hiring background. And I also had to develop the curriculum from scratch as well, which uh, the interact experience did prepare me for. So yeah, we had a great team to move quickly. Yeah, it, it it seems so. Uh, you you complemented each other, supplemented each other's uh, skills, and and so 
you always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but you you were just waiting for the opportunity. It seems. Ah, uh, that was a good question. Uh, I guess my my grandparents were entrepreneurs. They had their own store uh, in Hawaii, but uh, I actually never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur until I worked at Interact. <laughs> but uh, I guess the long story short was. Uh, be, being a manager in track was a blessing uh, because it was really, really hard. Like, really, really hard just to manage so many people and uh, so many people from varying different backgrounds. And uh, let's say, and some people weren't happy with their situation. So it was a challenging from a management standpoint. But I guess the point I wanted to make was. Uh, when I was in Interac, uh, there was a lot of things I couldn't do. That let's say, you know, what the client what the client wants is what the client gets, pretty much. Uh, things may have changed, but uh, I did everything that I had control over, and I kind of reached the point where uh, let's say, I couldn't do any more. And it made me realize that even if I went to another company, so it's not Interact per se, but if I went to like, if I became a manager of Aeon or GABA, there would be all these uh, systemic, uh, let's say, or there'll be all these policies, history in place. And the amount of freedom I would have would be limited and I'll just have to operate in a limited span. So if I were to create my own school, then I would be able to create a culture from zero and kind of direct things the way I wanted it to see created and structured. So you you found out early on that the corporate structure was not for you. That is correct. I think a lot of people maybe listen to this podcast. <laughs> Me too. I think we can you know we can sympathize with that. So it's just the the lack of uh, influence, the lack of. Uh, the lack of being able to do what you want or control your own time. You were very much at the beck and call of managers and office politics. Uh, yes. And I think uh, in a lot of cases too, like uh, I would say, uh, I think profits are very, very important, but I'm very hard on culture and product. So I would uh, maybe even work harder on product even at the expense of some profits just because i want uh, the product i want to give is or i really want to give a solid solid product or let's say people get what they pay for hmm. so they pay so, so tell me a little bit about that then about culture and product can you go into that gotcha so for uh one coin english uh, in our case, I would say majority of our teachers are part-time teachers. And uh, with the, uh, compared to Interact, where everyone was full-time. But because our teachers are working part-time, uh, I would say our, the amount we pay per hour is uh, on the lower end. But because of that, I felt that we had a responsibility where they would get uh, much more in terms of uh, coaching, education, training, so that even though they may not make as much as someone who works at GABA per se, but 
after working with us, they'll be in a good situation for getting full-time employment somewhere else. So uh, we've had a lot of success cases, actually, where, like, uh, I think some of our former part-timers uh, even make more money than I do. Oh, really? Can you give me an example? Uh, you don't yeah. need to name names or anything, but... Uh... I think uh, I think several in sales. Oh. And uh, one jumped from part-time teacher to a high-performing recruiter. Oh, I see. Can be lucrative. I'll see. I would say it's... Uh, there's only th there's only three or four of them, but still, I think uh, it's more than one. So I'm happy about that. Okay. Okay. So your background, Tyson, tell me a little bit about coming to Japan and why you decided to come here. Are you from Hawaii originally? That okay. is correct. So okay. I'm actually, I'm half Okinawan. Oh. And uh, say so went to university on the mainland. Uh, wanted to save some money for a couple of years, so I decided to come to Japan. Uh, 16 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> so I wanted to... Uh, actually, I'd probably prefer living in Okinawa to Tokyo, but uh, I guess my... my this, I like challenges, and I think I might... Uh, even though I prefer living in Okinawa, uh, I need to live in Tokyo for now because of... Uh, all the economic opportunity and challenges competing in the big city. And you came to Tokyo. And what, what was your first job? Were you, you were involved in HR. Is that right? That's your background. Oh, I taught in Ikaiwa for about 18 or about one and a half years. I was an AOT for about probably four and a half years. Then uh, I got the HR manager position for three and a half years. Then I've been uh, doing one coin English for about seven years now. Or seven and a half. So it took you 16 years to be an overnight success. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, you tell me about uh, you started one coin in it's seven years already, and yeah, uh, you're and you're now at eleven schools. So that is correct. How? Because in Japan, if um, for those of you outside of Japan, there have been some notable cases of schools expanding too quickly, having their English schools, and it didn't work so well. I can think of one notable example. So, um. Tell me a little bit about your expansion plans and. Uh... Gotcha. So it's in terms of schools over expanding, uh, I think usually what happens is uh, they either get a huge loan or they get a huge injection of funding to expand rapidly and uh, they kind of go crazy. Uh, in our case, we have been aware of that. Uh, but uh, we've been going at a slower pace. So I'd say adding uh, maybe two to three schools a year. And the main reason is, uh, I'd say probably every three schools you add, you kind of have to make a whole new uh, jump in evolution. And uh, in our case, yeah, I think that actually would... Uh, you would have to make a huge evolution uh, every three schools, you know, like, uh, let's say we have accounting or we have accounting staff. 
Uh, we had a school development team. Uh, we have uh, people who just recruit. Like we just have specialized recruiters. We have a specialized trainer. And uh, there's all these types of specialized functions you need to add. So, and for that reason, we haven't uh, gone crazy like, uh, you know, like what I, what I mean by crazy is uh, doubling in size every year. I think that's crazy. Like going from like, let's say 12 to 24, 24 to 48, 48 to 96. That would be a, I would say you would, you would really need uh, an expert at that. And there's not really too many of them out there. <laughs> but uh, sometimes I don't think I answered your question. Ah, I think you did, but I uh, tell me a little bit about expanding. Then it, it was really interesting what you touched on there. There's different different levels, different thresholds. The business has to, you know, the business has to transform in in regards to hiring and people that you have. So you you start with one school. Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but my idea would be that it's kind of all hands to the pump. And every, so you have a few staff and some people do a little bit of recruitment. You yourself maybe would do this, that, and yeah, you know, paint like a door that. if needs be. But uh, then you begin to mature and you so need to take on special kind of staff. Worked, I'll say at the beginning, uh, I, did, I did teaching. I made the curriculum. Uh, I also did reception. I collected the monies. I made some of the initial processes, picked up the phone in Japanese, uh, pretty much did what needed to be done. Then I think around the third school point, I had an, a kind of an assistant and uh, I greatly, greatly reduced my teaching to like maybe, yeah, I think at first I was doing 20 hours a week. Then after two schools, 10 hours a week, then I think five around three schools. Then I really focused on uh, making the curriculum and training program. Uh, then I think probably around the five marker, I really focused on a solid uh, recruitment. Just, let's say, having a recruitment tracking system. Uh, I guess we call it, it's called like pipeline. Uh, making a solid recruitment pipeline, setting up the software for it. Um, trying to automate everything as much as possible for recruitment. Then at that five mark, I could bring in my first recruiter because we're expanding uh, pretty heavily at the time. And I think probably once you get to the eight school point, that's when uh, the HR management systems begin to break. Then uh, in that case, yeah, that's the, I would say the eight school marker is really, really, really hard. Uh, the main reason for that is... Uh, Many teachers, uh, to become a good manager, it's really, really hard to become a good manager. And in our case, we have one manager at each school, one teacher manager. And uh, trying to get everyone on the same page. And also uh, trying to get everyone on the same growth trajectory, like communication skills, leadership skills, management skills. And uh, it gets really hard. I think when you're less, when you have less than eight schools, uh, you can kind of give a lot of attention to people. And if someone is lagging, uh, you can kind of give them extra attention. But once you get past eight, you kind of just need people who can uh, learn quickly and grow quickly. 
And I think if you try to make it past eight people with uh, who was a let's say they they were a teacher, they become a manager, and they're just like, I want an eight to five job. Uh, you probably won't be successful because they can't learn fast enough and they're not motivated enough to make all those jumps to becoming a good manager. And uh, just to give you an example, my case, when I made the jump from teacher to manager in Interact, I studied two hours every night in addition to doing one hour of overtime work, like studying management. Just because uh, as a manager, you have a responsibility to take care of your staff. And if, let's say, I don't know how to manage or I don't know how to help them reach their goals and, let's say, the future self they want to be, then, let's say, I'm kind of wasting their time in a way. So, like, uh, so long story short, uh, I think it's pretty easy to get to eight schools. But making it past eight schools is, uh, I don't, you don't really see too many places who do it very well. Uh, because uh, their skill sets begin to break down. And uh, you have to, pretty much every three schools, you have to reinvent yourself in some way. So to go over it, it's, uh, I would say, around three, it's you really need a solid curriculum. Around five and six, you really need uh, great recruitment. Then around eight, uh, you really need uh, great management. Oh, and I realized that I didn't answer your original question, which is, uh, what is our expansion strategy? And uh, Corona, or sorry, COVID-19 has greatly halted our expansion and has halted the expansion of every comparable business in the English industry in Tokyo. And I think uh, several of the major schools have also closed down branches in Tokyo. Uh, I can't say names, but I mean, it's public knowledge, but uh, some major chains have closed down schools and have downsized staff. So yeah, Tokyo is kind of a battlefield at the moment for the adult industry. Uh, sorry, adult English teaching industry. Okay, yeah. I thought <laughs> I we were to... going back to Kabuki Cho. <laughs> <laughs> I have to clarify that. Mm, but mm. surprisingly, uh, with Japan Switch, mm. uh, even though we are in Tokyo, uh, we have actually surpassed pre-corona levels. Oh. Uh, just last month. We, uh, let's say it's been a long, long year, but I've been able to, with my team, to rebuild it up higher than corona, or more students than pre-corona. Oh, uh, and I'd, I'd like to go on the, onto that in a few minutes, but I'd just like to pick up on where you left, left off on expansion because we've been talking to uh, a few school owners over the past few weeks and some school owners are content with maybe two, three schools and they feel that, you know, that's the threshold. Maybe they would have to work harder for it. There's added challenges, which you've outlined. Uh, D did you have that fear or that idea at one stage? Did you did you have an idea in mind of how many schools or what kind of lifestyle you would have or how? how uh, that gotcha. Mm. I had uh, luckily I had one advantage over most school owners, and it was I manage 150 full timers that interact. So uh, let's say when we were at three schools, we had maybe around 20 teachers. 
and 20 teachers for me that was like oh well we only have 20 teachers so it's uh or it's uh i had to elevate my mind past managing 20 teachers uh, in my previous job so even now like uh even 200 teachers is not uh that large of a number or it's uh because i've managed it i've done training sessions with 100 plus people uh i had the experience to do that so it's uh i think that's something you need uh, i think everybody can do it you just need experience at it so i didn't have that uh growing pains uh fears is actually more of our issues was more on the i'll say it's more on the marketing and operation school operation side for me it's like it took us seven years to get to 11 schools that's so slow so in my mind it was actually too slow oh really well it's um it's different for everybody i'm sure there's a lot of <laughs> there's people listening and they think uh, 11 schools is seven in seven years is is a super success but you know people have different expectations and do you think with with success your expectations change how does it change to, uh, to be successful how does your mindset change uh gotcha i think it depends on the person but uh i've seen it gone bad like uh, in cases where people pay themselves too much and they don't uh let's say they don't spread the wealth or let's say based on your profits you spread the wealth with the staff and I find that people who focus too much on themselves, uh, they come complacent and their school will probably deteriorate once a new challenge comes like COVID-19. It's like, cause uh, what's it? they didn't invest the money into the school, the systems processes. So I've seen that case happen a lot where they don't invest or I would say they just keep too much uh, for themselves. But in my case, I mean, from the beginning, we wanted to go national, and that's how uh, that's how they enticed me to join. And uh, yeah, if it wasn't national, I probably would not have uh, joined. I see. So that was your motivation. You wanted the the money was. Uh, so if you think about the priority, where does money come? Where does customer satisfaction? Where does expansion come? I mean, ah, uh, gotcha. I would say. For me, challenge is probably number one. Number two is customer satisfaction. Then three is uh, money. But I think if you do number one, number th- or let's say if you focus on challenges, number three will come naturally. Mm. And I think the the not just you, Tyson, but the last few people I've I've interviewed they've said the same thing and it seems to be i don't know a factor for success it's either you know expansion or customer satisfaction and then you know the success naturally comes you know it's a byproduct isn't it ah uh, yes definitely mm. in your case so so how do you achieve excellence then in your school how how do you get people to come and like what you do? And I I think it was um, Chris Jagesia last week. He we we talked about uh, people loving your product, people loving your school. He his words. Ah, uh, gotcha. I think in our case, the reason uh, one coin English did so well, which was uh, or the thinking I went to in creating uh, the teaching site was 
you'll get the same quality lesson as uh, Aeon. Like you'll get a or same quality lesson as the other big schools for one third the price, one fourth the price in some cases. So it's uh, we don't have super veteran teachers who've been there for ten years, but uh, we have teachers who are good for a reasonable price. And that's, I guess, that's our secret. So you've undercut the op uh, the opposition. Is that the? That is correct. Yeah, that's fair, fair to say. But does undercutting on price what what challenges does that bring? Ah, gotcha. So it's uh, well, one I have to mention why we undercut. It's uh, the main one was uh, the goal of the company was actually to get as much Japanese people to start speaking English as possible. And if we charge uh, six, 7,000 yen a lesson, that's not actually possible to get as many people speaking as possible. So we wanted to get uh, sheer numbers. And so that was the, or that was the goal that led to the price. And uh, sorry, what was the second question? I can't remember, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what, what <laughs> challenges does that bring? Ah, uh, gotcha. under, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, like I mentioned, in terms of teacher management, let's say, uh, in like uh, some of the big chains, like uh, they might pay maybe 280 or 300,000. And usually, if they pay that much, they don't really care about each individual teacher. They're like, I'm paying you, so do the job and uh, shut up, is kind of like the mentality of a lot of the big schools but in our case because we're not paying above market rates it's uh, we have to treat each employee importantly and invest in them as well because they have other options and so it kind of changes your mindset on there uh, also it's uh even though uh utter undercutting is dangerous because you have a lower profit margin to work with. But in our case, it also protects us in a way, uh, meaning that uh, other it's really hard to copy what we've done. Uh, our business model has been copied over eight times. Oh, by your competitors. Yes. There's even like sites called like OneCoin-English. Uh, there's people who've even copied our name. Like I think if you, uh, yep, if you look online, uh, won't, I won't be saying names, but we've actually been, uh, we've been copied and created headaches for us, but uh, usually it ends up never working out because it's, uh, it's you're, you have to really get the operations management. Everything has to be solid. So everything has to be lean. Yes, very in your organization. Lean. Yes. Mm. So it's uh, so I have a lot of founder friends. Like uh, I, did, they had a big amount of savings and they blew everything, and like they'll tell me how much they spend on things, and I'll be like, "Oh my god, are you insane? Like, what you spent thirty thousand for that? It's like, oh my god." Or like one, I guess one example is like uh, let's say visas. 
like I know how to do the visa process. We don't need to. Uh, I figured it out. I created a manual. I created a process, and I just gave it to our team. Just follow this exactly. And so we don't need to pay outsiders to do the visa process for us. And and how can you be leaner? What what fat can you trim off? Do you think? So one good strategy for being lean is. Uh, I'll give one of our secrets, but in recruitment, we use uh, calendar software. Where, sorry, my daughter's having a lo- lot of fun in the background. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so for recruitment process, one of the things I introduced was uh, we would give a person uh, the link, and they book us in the calendar, and the calendar sends them reminders before the interview. So they sign up, let's say they book the date, the software sends reminders, and it sends them a link to the video chat. So it eliminated the need to send an email. Or like say, like, what days do you have free? What time do you have free? And like uh, in our case where we're, we were into reviewing around, uh, I think we're doing like 80 interviews a month. Yeah. So imagine 80 interviews and let's say you eliminate that system. Uh, the other case example is uh, for Japan Switch. We usually do around four consultations a day. I think last last week we had like eight consultations a day. So let me explain. Sorry, Tyson, for breaking in there. J- Japan Switch is your Japanese school, is that right? Uh, that is correct. So yeah, I didn't so explain it. I, did, I didn't mention it, maybe. Yeah, so I just mentioned Tyson has uh, 11 English schools, but he also has some Japanese schools in, in Tokyo as well. When did you start Japanese Switch or J- Japan Switch? Sorry. Yeah, Japan Switch. Uh, we started it uh, two years ago. Oh, okay. And uh, since most of the listeners are school owners, it's uh, I think you'll understand the beauty of it. But uh, our English school runs from 1 p.m. to 10 p.m. at night. Uh, just because we're in the big city, there's a lot, a lot of students who want to study at night. So we made the decision to create a Japanese school or provide Japanese lessons from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. So in order to maximize the usage of our school space, we opened Japan Switch. So we're, we're actually only open on weekdays from 9 to 1 p.m. But it was a very, uh, it was actually a really good decision. Like, uh, has helped us to increase our sales and profits since we already have the space. Yes, exactly. So if you, if, if there were a, a school owner, if there, if there's a school owner listening or, so how can we, can you have some other ideas for maximizing that space? So when it's idle, you're not making money. So uh, yeah. what can people do? We, depending on location, we also uh, do rental space in Tokyo. So uh, people can rent the space and let's say, you could probably make a few hundred bucks a month. But you just have to be strict. Uh, some people, uh, I'll say... 95 to 90, 95% of the Japanese customers are excellent. 5%, uh, this, this applies to anywhere, not just Japan, but yeah, 5% can be a big pain in the butt. So you just have to have uh, strict rules. So that's uh, some t- 
tips for maximizing. But uh, sorry, I think the piece, the key, the point I want to get about Japan Switch is uh, we do around four, and in some cases we did like eight consultations a day in January. This January has been crazy, but uh, we use the same formula where uh, the students book in our calendar. They book a date in our calendar, and uh, they choose the times. So rather than trying to find the perfect time, they choose the time. It makes everything go by so much faster and smoother. And in our case, they can book the date from the uh, the inquiry form. So they go to send inquiry. They can uh, book a time for the uh, for the online school. Okay, so that's that's shaves off, uh, or that that spares the need for. Yeah, Ema- think- emailing, phoning, following up with uh, social that is networking. And I, th- or- and I think yeah. the, the key point is, uh, let's say, to do a consultation, there's a lot of steps involved. A person sends an inquiry form. Uh, we confirm the times. Or like they give us some times. Uh, we send them some times back. And sometimes it takes two to three interactions just to choose the time. Yeah. Even when we were organizing this uh, this interview, it was the same, wasn't it? So Calendly maybe is 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 a good option for some people who don't use it. It's, that is correct. Yeah. Calendly is a Calendly is a good option for recruitment. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll plug the company that we use because uh, they please do. Yeah, I was I was moving very, in that direction. Yeah, it's great customer service, but it's called A P P T O T O App Toto. P- T O T O. Okay, so app yeah. total. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very good. Uh, the only downside is uh, if you have listeners, I think in Korea, actually, it's really great in Korea and like Taiwan. Uh, it has SMS reminders built into it. Uh, Japan, it doesn't have SMS reminders built into it, but uh, yes, you can send people before the consultation. It'll send them an SMS reminder for those in Korea and Taiwan and China too. I think. Oh, okay. So we'll we'll put that in the show notes as well for for the for the listeners. So um, tell me a little bit about your students. So you're you've undercut the opposition. You're quite. Would you use the word cheap or would you quite price yes, effective? Yeah, you like that word I'll cheap say, or is okay? I'll say, I'll say we're very. Uh, I'll I'll say we're cheap. Okay, good. Yeah. So. Um, he has to call a spade a spade. Exactly. Okay. It's a. It's a little bit like the uh, low cost carriers in Europe. They call themselves cheap. Exactly. So they are they. Um, so that's no. actually the concept we did with the school. Is mm. the L- oh. Or in our business plan, we are the LCC of Ikaiwa. Ah. Okay. So some people may think, maybe I don't know if it's your experience that uh, a couple of things. One is it's cheaper, so. I don't know about the quality. Number two is it's cheaper from the the point of view of the school. It's cheaper. We're charging a cheaper price. So people won't value it as much. Maybe they won't come to the the school as much. Maybe their perception of another school who provide the same teaching or even inferior teaching to you are somehow better because the price is more. Is uh, did you come across those difficulties? Oh, yeah, that's or, a very yeah. good point. Uh, mm. So in our case, we actually had the yeah we had that problem where people were like the price is too cheap, so the quality must suck, and so we actually had trouble acquiring customers because it was too cheap at first. 
but uh, after gaining a lot of reviews, uh, we've been on national TV several times. Uh, actually, last week, we we're just on a TBS drama they filmed at our school. Oh, really? Oh, I and, did see uh, something about that. We we can put a link a link to that as well in the show notes. Uh, I didn't... Uh, <laughs> it's kind of politically incorrect, but... Uh, I've never been chosen to make one of our five to six national appearances on TV, but uh, one day I hope they'll choose me. <laughs> but it, it, uh, I, I won't say my race, or I guess I'll say I'm, I'm actually half Okinawan. But in, anyhow, I've, I've never been chosen, but it has brought us good publicity, so I can't argue as an owner. Okay. Okay. Uh... Do you want to go into that or shall we move on? Uh, I guess I'll mention one thing. It's uh, depending on the show, it has a huge difference. Like uh, we've been on, uh, I think it's called Getsuyo no Akashi, but it's a pretty famous show. We've been on there like three, four times. And uh, let's say like one of our teacher just does a lesson and it hasn't been too effective, but uh, we appeared on one show. It was seen by 8 million people. And I think we got like a hundred students. Yeah, so it's, I think one show can uh, become a game changer. And like, uh, yeah, it's even even though it was like four years ago, it still has a great positive impact for, for our business today. So in, initially, there's a problem. Oh, it's cheap. Maybe it's not that good. We won't go along. But then you see it on TV. The testimonials are there on the side, and there's good word of mouth. And uh, yeah, I think we have come- like. Uh, several hundred testimonials with photos oh. of student and teacher. Fantastic. And your students, you mentioned earlier about adults and children and the adult market in oh, Tokyo has been... Yeah. yeah, we only teach adults. That was more... Uh, yeah. So that was uh, uh, children. Like, yeah, we actually don't teach any children at all. Was there a reason why you chose just adults? For me personally, uh, I think uh, for like the children's classes, I think probably three to four students per class is ideal. I don't think eight students per class is ideal. And for our price point, we would probably have to have like eight students. So for me, I felt that uh, children could be better served by the uh, your other listeners. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll move on. Tell me a little bit about your workday. And I I wanted to we we touched a little bit on ownership and management. So uh, through you the expansion of your business, were you, were you a little bit more hands on? Now you've delegated this to other managers or how how has that happened oh gotcha so Mm. it happened uh so actually two years ago i stepped down as hr director and uh so i was in charge of management training and recruitment but uh i uh they called succession planning but i trained the person who would take over me and i trained all the people who would take over me and let's say we've i built all the manuals before i left before i changed my position but uh, what happened was I knew HR, I knew training, but uh, I felt that 
I didn't want to be tied down to only the English teaching industry. And I also, uh, even though I was a board member, I didn't understand finance. I didn't really understand the, uh, the balance sheet, uh, we'll say cash flow, profit loss statements. And I didn't understand that part. I didn't understand marketing. I didn't understand uh, the operations as much because I was just focusing on the the teaching, training, recruitment side. So I felt that uh, to go for it as a board member and also to help me uh, with the whole business as a whole, I need to learn those points. And then we came up with the decision that uh, actually we should open a Japanese uh, Japanese school or provide Japanese lessons. And uh, yeah, just so I could get that knowledge. And it's actually, I think it's, it was actually the, an excellent decision because I had to learn marketing from zero uh, and like uh, school operations and the finance end. So I felt that uh, even if I were to go make another school, it's uh, I would understand all aspects of the business and how to scale all aspects of the business. Except the operations. I think that's my, or I can scale marketing, training, recruitment, and management, but uh, operations, it's, uh, yeah, I don't have, I, th I think you need a certain type of brain for that. Okay. So somebody else or one of your partners can. Yeah, I think we'll have to find, it's, it's actually, it's, it's such a rare skill, like someone who's a master mm. of operations. Like, uh, yeah, I I've never met anyone in Interact or any of the other Kaiwas who was a master of operations. Oh, what kind of person would be, well, if you've never met them, maybe it's, it's difficult to say, but in, in your mind, what, what would you, what kind of person ah, would be good at operations? So I guess like, for example, in marketing, let's say like, uh, let's say, how do we go from, uh, like I can imagine like uh like one to ten millions or like managing like a million dollar budget. I can envision all that and I could make a plan for that. Like dun dun dun. But in terms of doing the operations for like something that's ten million, fifty million, like uh your brain is kinda like a machine in a way. You're you're kinda it's kinda like a chess player. And you can see all this you can see the fifty moves ahead. But, uh, and it's kind of like chess too. Like some people, you know, they're just meant, or it's hard work, but they also have kind of that unique, they're just something about them. Mm. And if that sounds like you, you can apply to Tyson. He, he, he's very interested in talking to you. If you, if that seems like you. Uh, and you need N1 Japanese. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's, uh, that's essential. So, uh, tell me about generating ideas in your company. What's, uh, how, how do you come up with, is it a collaborative thing with your teachers and uh, your partners or? Uh, I gotcha. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. It's, uh, I would say it kind of differs. It, there's a lot of stages, parts to it, but uh, from one to three schools, a lot. You need to be talking a lot, a lot, a lot. I think from around three to six, 
you need maybe even eight, three to eight, you need to collaborate with uh, your, let's say your teacher's team a lot. But I think once you get past the eight point, the ideas that most people give aren't actually that good. And what I mean by that is uh, many teachers, when they see at that eight, or before then, they have amazing, amazing ideas. But once you get to the eight point, it's not uh, they see a problem and they come up with a solution. But when you're at eight and above that, you need that one solution that solves five problems. Like a solution that solves one problem is a junk solution. You need one solution that solves five problems. And I think that's, uh, so I guess to answer your question, how do we come up with ideas? In the beginning, I used, or with Japan Switch, I listen to my staff a lot. They have a lot of amazing ideas. They're on the ground and they can handle things. But I think the challenge when you get past eight is uh, everybody at every school has an idea. And you can only choose uh, one or two. And uh, so I guess to answer your question, I've kind of answered it, but uh, I guess my suggestion is, which I think our management team hasn't done well enough, is uh, probably once you get to the 12 point, you have to make sure everyone gives suggestions. The reason is you can't oversee everything. You can't see the day-to-day, -day, and you're going to miss probably 80% of things. So your team has to tell you. So you have to be collaborative. They have to give you the ideas. But what you need, you need a system for identifying how good each idea is. The reason that we had trouble, I think our manager had trouble with, was that uh, people would give ideas and uh, they wouldn't get implemented and they would become frustrated. They're like, I gave you all these ideas. You didn't run with any of them. It takes so long. You know, I don't want to give any more ideas anymore. Then, uh, but what I would have done if I was the manager, like, uh, or what I do, uh, I don't need to do it for Japan Switch because we're not that big yet. It's uh, different stages. But at that stage, you probably need, a, let's see, I, I, I'll give a marketing example. When I make a marketing decision, I give every action a score. Uh, how much of an impact will it have? Will I get 10 students a month? Will I get five students a month? Will I get one student a month through this action? I give it an impact score. I give it an ease score. How long does it take? It's uh, should it take like 10, will it take one hour? Will it take 10 hours, 50, 100 hours? Then uh, you, you can give it a different, There's you can add an additional number, but it's basically how easy is it to do for you and how big is the impact? Then I'll make a list. And so like, uh, yeah, I had a lot of teachers give me ideas for Japan Switch. Then I'll tell them, oh, cool, I have 150 ideas. Your ideas ranked uh, 120. And they would be like, oh. Then I'll be like, but it's okay. It's uh, This is how I evaluate decisions. If you can get me, if you can give me an idea where I could get uh, 10 students a month, I'm all ears. But if you have an idea that I can only get one student a month, it's not worth my time. So it's... Uh, so to kind of answer your question in a way, it's like you have to be collaborative because I was I'm not on the ground level, so I'm going to miss 80% of things. But you also need a way of uh, 
creating a criterion for the evaluation of ideas. And uh, a lot of what I see where managers go wrong is uh, they just listen to ideas and the staff don't know what type of ideas you want. And mine's very clear. It's a, I want an idea that can get me five students to 10 students a month. And so even appearing on this podcast uh, actually uh, is based on your reputation that I accepted it. Because I normally turn down, I've turned down five podcast offers in a row, actually. Oh, really? Wow, I'm flattered. Because <laughs> <laughs> I did my calculation and I was like, yeah, actually it's, well, it's like you only have 300 visitors and I might get one person. So yeah, it's not worth my time. So I, I estimated I'll get three students or three applications to Japan Switch, japanswitch.com. And we also offer online lessons. Well, what will happen is we'll put up the, the podcast and let's say we'll come back in a few months and you can email me and say, oh, Philip, I did get those three and we can put it up on the show notes at so, some later stage. And I hope that happens. Uh, yeah, I hope that, so would be a nice, that would be a nice experiment actually to, to run to see what kind of uh, Im impact we're making. So I, I asked a few school owners that we've had in, in, in the past week uh, this question about dealing with complaints from students. So I'd like to actually drill down a little bit more about that question. So what kind of complaints do students have? So for the Japanese school, one is they want us to provide JLPT lessons. Ah, okay. And uh, so for, sorry, for those who, who are not familiar with uh, Japanese JLPT, it's a Japanese proficiency test from N5, the lowest to N1, which is the highest, which we, we mentioned a little earlier about uh, Tyson's operation operations persons. Sorry, please go ahead. Uh, thanks for uh, clarifying that. Yes, it's uh, so that's one. The other one is like, we want you to open up on the weekends. Then it's uh, the other one is I want to do more free conversation. And I think the last one is I want to do more reading writing. And uh, sorry, the fifth one is uh, I want you to be more flexible in your schedules. And uh, in each case, it's uh, it's a customer education issue, and it's uh, I think we could improve our it's uh, I think we should do more onboarding, student onboarding, to be honest, because the the open on the weekends issue it's like we're very clear like we charge a cheap price because we use the school during its off hours, and we provide those savings to you. Uh, the other one is we do fixed lessons. So the teachers gets paid if the student doesn't show up. So, uh, so we do fixed lessons for Japan Switch. And in that case, uh, we tell the students, like, uh, we'll say, if you want us to do flexible lessons, we'll have to charge you, let's say, or we charge them about 30 bucks, 3,000 yen. But if you want flexible lessons, you have to pay 5,000 yen, 4,500 yen. So a lot of, lot of the customer complaints is because uh, I, I don't blame them for forgetting because uh, there's I don't expect people to remember, but uh, we could improve our onboarding to communicate what we are and what we're not. Uh, but for some reason, I think uh, they know it when they sign up, but they forget afterwards because during the sign up, we explain everything. This is who we are. This is who we're not. 
So you're not going to please anybody. I can uh, give a little related example. I used to work in a, a cinema about maybe 20 years ago. And people who come out of the screen and say the screen was too hot. Then other people who come out and say it was too cold. Then they will get the popcorn and say there wasn't enough salt. And then other people say there was too much salt for the same popcorn. So, you know, I don't know how you deal with that. You just... <laughs> oh, <laughs> you <know>? yeah. Mm. <laughs> the, the issue we had was, uh, I think... It's either the class is too hot or cold, or it's too noisy. Then uh, I've made the decision that uh, I think people prefer, or people can tolerate uh, temperature better than noise. <laughs> so uh, sometimes teachers have complained about it, but it's I'll just tell them, uh, would you, I'd say based on our experience of talking with a lot of students, you can do something to manage the temperature, but you can't manage noise in a classroom. So it's cold, wear another sweater or wear a sweater. Okay. So so when you say manage noise, is the other students are too noisy or? Uh, it, yeah. uh, in Japan, if you have a closed, let's say, we don't have closed rooms because it's, it's really expensive. And you have to put in a alarm. You have to put in air conditioner. So it's uh, to cut costs. We just have uh, the top floor, op the top open. So people complain about it, and so but we let's say but we try to minimize noise. So some rooms might not get as much heat as another classroom. Uh huh. I see. Okay, gotcha. So people in the lounge maybe or other classrooms they complain sometimes. Is it? That is correct. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so I want to talk to you about mistakes. We've all made them. I, I was thinking about something, I, a mistake I made today. And, uh, you know, yeah, I console myself that entrepreneurs all make mistakes and they can regale people with uh, the mistakes they've made and, uh, you know, how to, how to learn from them. So what mistakes have you made for people who are entrepreneurs, business owners, school owners, uh, something you said, that was a bad idea. Maybe a, a, an idea for school, for expansion, or just something that was wrong gotcha. at the time. Or I'm trying to think of big decisions, like uh, errors I've made in big decisions. I think... Uh, Unfortunately, I have only generic answers. It's uh, fantastic. Yeah, there there are times where I should have spoke up because mm -hmm. okay. I knew something would go wrong, mm -hmm. and I didn't speak up. Ah, you didn't listen to your intuition, your gut on that. Is that, that it? Is correct? Or I yeah. didn't. Uh, I didn't feel like fighting it, even though I should have fought for it. So I think that's. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't say this is a mistake, but uh, I would say, yeah, I'll say it's, I wouldn't say it's a mistake, but uh, I should have probably put more attention into running an organization. And what I mean by running an organization is uh, how to make 50 people go in the same direction. And uh, yeah, I think very few people, uh, I mean, I know how to do that for like one aspect, but how do you make everyone in an organization, different teams, different functions, all move in the same direction? And I think that's a mistake I made was uh, I overestimated my HR management skills because I only managed one niche. 
whereas uh, anyone can manage one niche, but managing an organization of different people, different backgrounds, different goals, different education towards the same goal, uh, that's a whole different level of uh, thinking and uh, strategy and planning and execution. So I'd say that's uh, so. That's kind of what I'm doing now. Is I'm taking uh, online courses, uh, how to uh, get everyone on the same page. And I think very few, uh, very few people can do that, even in huge corporations. And that's why a lot of uh, big corporations die. Either they make, or it's uh, they might have the right decision, but no one, uh, they don't execute it. Or you could have the opposite. You you do every the execution's perfect, but your idea sucks. <laughs> but uh, I guess my goal is actually would like I'd like to at least do the execution right <laughs> because that's something you can learn. But the idea uh, there's a bit of chance in the in that timing. Okay. So I'm I'm going to move on. Just a couple of questions left. It's been it's been fascinating. Uh, I'm talking today to. Tyson Batino uh, from OneCoinEnglish.com. He uh, runs 11 uh, English language schools in Tokyo. Do you teach other languages as well? Have You You said that your partners uh, have the, the largest number of uh, Korean schools in Japan. And uh, have uh, you taught Chinese or French? Or uh, we, like we've broken up from that partner uh, oh, I see. a okay. long time ago. But uh, no, we just do English and Japanese. Okay. Is there an advantage to other languages or you just stick to what you have? Oh, that's a good question. It's, mm. uh, I would say in person, it's, uh, that's a tough one. I could see it being in advantage in some cases, but in our case for Japan Switch, uh, let's say Japanese customers and the, let's say foreign residents of Japan are completely different people. So uh, I have been spending the last two years uh, remaking everything for Japan Switch. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, the English school, they have a contract that is like, uh, I think you have to read like six pages, six to eight pages. Uh, the contract for Japan Switch is uh, two pages, but in four, 16 size font. So big font, easy read, but I had to uh, change everything because uh, foreign audiences, no one wants to read small print contracts. We hate that. So I made I made it super simple, no legalese, simple English, big font, and it's kind of if you don't understand, it's your fault. <laughs> T tell me a little bit more. That's fascinating. What you said, dealing with uh, foreign. Uh, customers and, and dealing with Japanese. So ah, what other gotcha. differences uh, are there? Um, let me think of the ones. I, uh, we've, we've come up with several that uh, give us a competitive advantage. But uh, so one was the contract. That was a huge difference. And, uh, it's, I actually get compliments from students. Like your contract is so simple. I've never read any contract where I actually understood what it said. And that was uh, by design when I was an HR manager as well. I always designed the easy to read contracts. But uh, so that was one. The other one is 
So do Japanese like reading contracts or they're just used to reading? Uh, they'll they'll read it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They will read it. I mean, you know, if you it's... if you buy any electronic product in Japan, you're going to get chapter and verse about the product, don't you? I mean, they're going to they're going to explain the buttons. They like they like going in depth, don't they? Yeah, they like understanding all the details. Then, uh, yeah, I think the unique one for us is uh, in our case, uh, we actually we don't take cash or bank account. We just uh, take a uh, credit card and debit card just because it's easier uh, to process it for us to do uh, deductions. But uh, in the English school, was a lot of people have bank accounts. Everyone has credit cards, but for a lot of foreigners, a lot of them don't have, uh, let's say, or so, a lot of foreigners who come to our school actually, uh, maybe they might be in a working holiday or something like that, but let's say, they don't make a bank account. Uh, I think nowadays you can't make one for six months. Yeah, I think it, it depends on the bank kind of, from my experience. Yeah. And I think, mm. I think if your company, if you come through Japan with a company, they'll hook you up. You'll get a bank account. But if you're on a working holiday, uh, it's uh, postal bank might help you, but it's all in Japanese. So a good number of our students don't actually have bank accounts, which we found out. So we had to uh, we change it uh, for credit card and uh, a debit card instead of just purely bank accounts because I'm pretty sure most of the owners here they do bank accounts. Mm, bank accounts yeah, is I I would think so. I I mean e- even if you join a, a dance club, I'm I'm not a member of any dance club, but uh, you know you'll get the standing order every month or direct debit or whatever. However they they price these things, it, it's standard practice, isn't it? You sign up and it goes out your bank account automatically. That is correct. And that's the standard. But in our case, uh, let's say probably, uh, I think t- all customers end up being able to do it, but I would say probably 15% can't. So uh, we've had to eliminate that. And uh, the other unique one, which gives me a headache, but uh, we have uh, kind of like a how to succeed as a student. It's like a one-page guide, 1.5-page guide. No one reads it. <laughs> For, like for, for Japan Switch, is for it? Japan for Japan Switch. Oh, for Japan Switch, yeah. Okay. Uh, for the English school, uh, everyone, like, majority of people read it. I think theirs is, like, six pages long, and, like, a lot of people read it. But for Japan Switch, like, even a super simple, like, 1.5 page, like, no one reads it. Like, a lot of foreigners don't read it, and it's, uh, so that's kind of the challenge that we're facing now. It's, uh, if they were to read it, and, like, we actually have a really good student site. Like, how do I study vocabulary? This is how we have a guide to it. What are some good learning apps? Here's a guide to it. Uh, how to do net, how to do networking in Japan. Here's how you, this is our guide to it. How to, let's say, do a resume, how to do interview. We have guides for everything for our students' needs in Japan. But uh, I found out that like only like 15% of our students know that we actually have a student site. And it was like, ah, like we put all this effort so it's uh that's been the interesting part it's uh how to get our uh because we're not a full-time school how do you get people so that's the challenge we're facing right now which is pretty funny we're like people would ask us like oh how how do you guys recommend any apps i was like after like six months i was like ah we have a free we have an ebook on the student site 
and how to do it. So that's kind of funny. Like, uh, so the, the Japanese, or with one coin English, we take for granted that people read things, but in Japan Switch, uh, we have to kind of go uh, beyond the call just to communicate one thing. Interesting. Interesting. So the, the last question I'm going to ask you today, Tyson, it's been fascinating. So we're talking to uh, Tyson Battino from uh, OneCoinEnglish.com, JapanSwitch.com, and of course we'll mention BFFTokyo.com uh, as well. Um, the future, what does the future hold? What are your plans? Without giving away any secrets here, generally, what would you like to do? Gotcha. So the English school expand as normal for... Uh, Japan switch we're gonna continue expanding uh I would say uh if I do get some students I would like to appear again oh yeah sure but, uh, yeah we'd love to have you back yeah uh, I, I didn't talk about the story but actually for Japan switch uh we've actually surpassed our pre-covid numbers of students oh so I think we're probably the only square I know that has actually increased in size in both English and Japanese I think uh, for my third project, which is uh, bfftokyo.com, it's uh, my media site. And I guess the best way I could describe it is it's kind of like like articles like you would read on Gaijinpot, but they're three to four times, even eight times longer. Oh, I see. What's the so, what's the length there? What, how many words would you say? Oh, like, uh, so for example, my article on full-time jobs in Japan is 10,000 words. Oh, wow. It's uh, 25 pages, and there's links to uh, the whole job section is probably uh, it's everything you need to know about jobs in Japan, mm -hmm. which is a great job board, by the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, Peter Lackner, jobs in Japan.com. So <laughs> mention Peter but, there. Uh, we have a lot of content on uh, it's basically uh, I got pissed off of having to check four to five blog posts just to find an answer. So I created, uh, as part of my 10% free time project for my company, I have my 10% time and uh, I just created a blog. Uh, we get about 18,000 users a month. And it's uh, comprehensive guides to jobs, learning Japanese and licensing. Well, um as uh, as we chatted about earlier, Tyson, we'd love to have you back at some stage. I've I've spoken to a few guests about this, and you know we have some other ideas for shows, maybe panel shows or troubleshooting, or you know we have some some other ideas. Um, and thank you for your time. Uh, you're obviously busy. You you've got your schools and you've got your little one as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's the very ginky in the background. Very ginky. So, Tyson, thank you very much. See you next time. Thank you so much, Philip. And thank you for uh, anyone who's listened all the way here. Thank you for uh, listening for so long. Thanks for listening to the EFL Magazine Business Podcast with Philip Pound. For more great advice and resources, check out EFLMagazine.com. If you found this podcast helpful, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. See you next time.